0: Good morning, this is Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Jeanette Dios. About 71% of New Mexican students qualify for free or reduced-price meals, yet some of our children are still going hungry. The Healthy Universal School Meals Act, introduced by Democratic Senators Michael Pedia and Leo Harmio, would give all public and charter school students free access to breakfast and lunch, regardless of family income. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham is a supporter of this bill and made it one of her priorities in the State of the State Address. Senate Bill 4 would not only benefit our tr- school children, but also our farmers, who would provide healthy, locally grown, and nutritional foods. However, some are skeptical about the price tag and whether we can afford to fund it in the years to come. Senate Bill 4 calls for $30 million every year from the general fund beginning this July, plus more than $75 million over time to build a food system that grows, transports, and serves food to New Mexicans on this week's let's talk new mexico we'll be taking a closer look at the healthy universal school meals act if this bill passes how will it impact our kids farmers and educators do you support the idea of making healthy meals free to all school kids regardless of income will this be economically or otherwise profitable for our state let us know Join our conversation this morning by calling 505-277-5866. That's 505-277-KUNM. You can also send questions or comments to at org, or tweet us with the hashtag Let's Talk NM. <clears throat> So before we start, I have a statement from Christine Mail, a middle school teacher in Albuquerque's North Valley who could not join us this morning because she's currently teaching. Christine says, I do see a lot of students coming to school hungry. My school is a community school and runs a food pantry for our families. I had one student complain that the food they receive from it isn't what her family is used to eating. It sounded like the foods her family received weren't the foods from her home culture and therefore didn't really like them or know what to do with them. It seems like students have enough time to eat lunch. They have 30 minutes, but breakfast can be missed due to them arriving too late. Many students bring chips, candy, and sometimes breakfast burritos with them for breakfast. I let students eat in my class because I know they're hungry. One of the biggest issues I see regarding school breakfasts, and especially lunch, is students that complain about not liking the food they're served. They often call it disgusting. That was Christine Mail with a very telling account of what's happening in our schools today. And with that, I'd like to introduce my first guest, Kendall Chavez, who has a background in food policy and is currently the Food and Hunger Coordinator for the Office of the Governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. Welcome to the show, Kendall.
1: Good morning, Jeanette. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's get into it, Kendall. What exactly is this bill about? How is the federal government a partner in helping to provide meals?
1: Yeah. So again, thanks, Jeanette, for having for really elevating this issue as a as a focus topic for Let's Talk New Mexico this morning. We're very excited to have this conversation today. So Senate Bill Four, the Healthy Universal School Mills Bill um, really builds off of, I don't know, 10 to 20 years of work that's happened in the state. Um, I want to first give a shout out to organizations like Farm to Table, as well as Appleseed, who's here today, um, who really built the, the framework for where we are here in 2023. So over the last you know decade or two, We've gone from 2010, an investment in farm to school, to 2014, breakfast after the bell, which was mentioned in Christine's letter, to 2017, um, the hunger-free student bill of rights, 2020, um, the reduced price copay, and then here we are in 2023, really looking at student health and student nourishment holistically via the vehicle of schools. And so I just wanna, again, give kind of a shout out to our partners in this work, um senate bill four again holistically looks at school food culture. we're not just talking about covering the cost of meals so that every student in new mexico gets breakfast and lunch for free we're saying that when we cover the cost we also want to encourage and incentivize schools and school districts to really address the issues that christine mentioned in her letter jeanette i want to flag that not all schools and districts have that same experience across the state we have plenty of schools
0: I'm
1: out of school, so
2: I'm
0: going to put myself on mute really fast. Okay, Uh, not a problem. Um, We can move on to, uh, we can also bring in another guest, uh, Jennifer Ramo, who is the founder and executive director of New Mexico Appleseed, a nonprofit organization focused on ending poverty in New Mexico. Jenny's been a longtime advocate for children's hunger in the state, and we're happy to have her on the show.
2: Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I loved hearing about the teacher, Christine, and, um, you know, the honest Honest feedback is really important for this process. It's not kind of skimming over the issues like quality of food and uh, there aren't always things we can do about it, but it's always important to raise those, lift up those voices, for sure.
0: Exactly. And Kendall gave us a little rundown of the bill. But in regard to you and New Mexico Appleseed, what type of efforts were made before this bill to fight childhood hunger?
2: So this bill is really exciting because it's basically the home run we've been looking for. You know, Appleseed um, has brought it from kind of the the batter's cage all the way up to batting to first first base, second base, third base. And now they're really taking it home. And um, that's that's pretty exciting. So I started Appleseed in 2009. It's actually loosely related to a um, national organization that was started by the 1958 class of Harvard Law School to do systems change work. And when I started it, it was right when, Apple Seed, when APS was giving cheese sandwiches to kids. And there was a lot of yelling and, and screaming at school board meetings, and then it made national news. And I just realized I wanted to build Appleseed around a culture of of collaboration and it turned out that aps actually wasn't required to do anything uh and they were trying although they were missing a sensitivity chip uh trying to give the kids something rather than nothing and i really started my work from there of of doing very deep dive policy research legal research to understand what what's legal what needs to change um what needs to become legal you know really understanding the landscape of of the regulatory and legal framework. And then also doing a lot of kind of social science and medical research about what are the best practices to address child hunger. So we um, we really started looking into Breakfast After the Bell and that was actually passed in 2011 and it was the first in the country. And I wanna say there are probably 20 more states that followed us. And the side note of this is New Mexico, just like with this bill, can be a model for change. We really do have a place where you can get things done and make a difference. So in 2011, Appleseed wrote the first in the country breakfast of the Bell Law that required high poverty elementary schools to serve breakfast in the first few minutes of class. And I'm going to write down Christine's name and make sure that their school is in compliance um and then we've extended it to middle and high schools which has been a little bit tougher but what we know is that on testing days they bring in food for kids and so what we need is that food for kids every day but we all the all the bills that kendall mentioned our, our, app, our apple seeds work and and we did it in collaboration with amazing legislators, including Senator Michael Padilla, um, who did our, our lunch shaming bill that's actually now in Congress. And we have two bills in Congress. One of them actually speaks to the issue that miss that Christine broke brought up which is native food so we have the tribal nutrition improvement act in congress that our legislator delegation has been working on since 2015 that really makes sure that the culturally appropriate foods are available um then we chipped away at it and got uh, eliminated reduced price copays so those kids got me three meals and in the meantime we've been really supporting this the governor and the governor's office and bless her heart kendall um to um help them do all the policy research, a lot of policy research and a lot of the kind of how much is this going to cost research and what the legal issues are um, so that they could get to this point And, and we're The governor makes me so proud with her commitment to these kids and and really is making a difference in people's lives on on uh, regardless of your party it's hard to argue with with that. So this bill is I know she Kendall collaborated with us and farm to table and a bunch and the ranchers and I think it's a really good reflection of real opinions and real expertise brought to the table and um, Kendall's doing an amazing job taking it through the legislature and where it's fun to watch.
0: That's amazing to hear. Let's go and get back to Kendall. Um, in the past few years, the federal government has given money to the states for pandemic aid that could provide free meals to students. Those options have ended. What effect does that have on students and families?
1: Thanks, Jeanette. And I, I just have to say, I'm at East San Jose Elementary School this morning. We have 160 elementary students who wrote letters to the governor and to our legislature. And so we're here to kind of, I'm here just to kind of meet them and hear their thoughts on Senate Bill 4 today. So you'll hear some um, bells and things like that i apologize for the noise um so you know the the federal waivers which essentially made university meals universally free during the pandemic um were rescinded for this school year so since the very beginning of this school year so 23 24 families have been paying those that are paying for meals um are paying on average about a thousand dollars a year that's an average household with two children for lunch alone so the cost burden for mills is is real and definitely a factor in in sort of our approach around the uh, around the health University school Mills bill Senate bill four um, I do want to say you know the, the federal government when you look at the the federal waivers there was no focus on quality there was no focus on health there's no focus on farm to school there's no focus on food waste like the culture of school food and we're very very proud of the of the version of the bill that we're working with now that really reflects um, a holistic again investment in school food and we're gonna have a lot more work to do. I, I promise, um, promise you that you know, in a year we'll have some learnings and some, and some lessons and, and we'll have to shift strategy a bit. But um, again, New Mexico should be proud. This is a first of its kind piece of legislation because it really is looking at all of the elements of school food and how kids engage with, with, with food in schools.
0: And the biggest opposition we've seen so far in the legislat- legislation comes from lawmakers concerned about whether or not we can afford to spend $30 million from the general fund initially and to continue funding this bill in future years. What do you say to that?
1: I say to them, you know, this, this issue, and I think Jenny mentioned this, um, is a bipartisan issue. So when, we, when I see legislators in the roundhouse and s- stakeholders from across the state, whether they're conservative or liberal or somewhere in between, they believe that investing in kids and really the focus on the health piece and the investing in farms and ranches and food businesses is really, really key to this approach. Um, so I would say to them, you know, budget is the ultimate expression of your policy priorities. And so we, we believe that New Mexicans of all, of all, you know, locations of all demographics um, will do believe that investing in kids via school meals, which is where they spend, you know, five days um, of their week where you know, more than 80% of our children in New Mexico consume at least 50% of their calories. Like this is a place that we should be investing in with a crystal clear focus on quality and not letting that surpass us. Um, I do have to say, you know, give the governor a shout out. This was really her vision again, that we're investing in the free side, making all meals free um, while also holding meal quality and access to foods that are meaningful and nourishing as, as something that's as important as access.
0: And this amount of money in the bill is it's just the beginning, right? How does the governor hope to build a food system in the state that grows, transports and serves food to our children?
1: Yeah, so this is just the beginning and we we are recommending recurring funding. So this would be a 30 million dollar appropriation every year for this program. And that number will likely, you know, ebb and flow over the years, depending on how many kids are eating meals um, and I do have to say that in addition to that 30 million, Jeanette, there's also our $20 million for capital. So investing in kitchen infrastructure, basic equipment to return to scratch cooking. We're also investing money into our workforce development and the training of our school nutrition professionals across the state. So they know how to return to scratch cooking. We know that there's gonna be some learning curve there. Um, and in addition to those investments, there's another, um, you know, the, the budget package in total for the food initiative this year is 75 million. Um, again, we know that that's a that is a, a drop in the bucket when you look at our needs around supporting farms, supporting ranchers, supporting transportation, food hubs, food you know farmer cooperatives, and then supporting our buyers both in schools but also in senior centers, preschools, um, supporting our you know New Mexicans that participate in SNAP to be able to double their food bucks when they buy local food. Like all of these market opportunities are all part of a larger equation. So that's how we're looking at you know, really improving our food system here in New Mexico so that it meets the needs of low-income New Mexicans while also serving our farmers and ranchers and businesses. And this
0: bill stipulates that it will provide free meals to any New Mexican student regardless of income. Is there a way for families who are doing a little well to opt out of the program or contribute so that another less fortunate student can eat?
1: So the way that school meals work, uh, it's not it's not it's not a zero sum game in that sense. So a school, a school or a school district is going to produce meals based on the number of kids that they think are going to be eating that day. So there's not going to be excess meals. So, for example, if I'm in a school with 300 kids and I'm a food service director, I'm not going to produce 300 meals every day because I know that some kids are going to bring their lunch. We invite that and are are totally supportive of families who want to continue to bring lunches. Um, and the school meal programs adapt based on how many kids they think they're going to feed. They don't want to put, they don't want food to go in the trash. Um, and in terms of families donating money for other other kids, we don't think that that's necessary. This is really a responsibility of um, you know the state of New Mexico. We cover the cost of pencils. We cover the cost of equipment for sports. We cover the cost of desks. We don't have income thresholds for anything else in school. So why would we do that for food?
0: Exactly. And we're going to get back to this conversation, but we're going to go to a short break right now. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Jeanette Didius. Are you a parent, guardian, or teacher that has seen children going hungry or lack of healthy meals provided to our students? Call us at 505-277-5866. We'll be right back.
3: Support provided by Davis Keelan New Mexico Trial Attorneys, specializing in catastrophic personal injury, wrongful death, and medical malpractice. More information at daviskeelan.com.
4: The Spring Fundraiser is coming right up on March 18th, and we're looking for businesses and individuals who can offer a challenge grant. When you place a challenge grant on a show during the fundraiser, it really encourages listeners to donate, which ultimately increases the amount of support for the programming you love. So if you are planning to give $500 or more, please make it a challenge grant and call me, Shanda Shaw, at 505-277-8006. That's 277-8006.
5: Stuart Goodyear spent quite a few childhood summers with his family in Trinidad where he was immersed in the sounds of calypso. Recently, as a grown-up pianist and composer, he's combined calypso with classical. Stuart Goodyear's Callaloo on the next performance today from APM. Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM.
0: Welcome back. This is Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Jeanette Didios. We've been talking to Kendall Chavez, the Food and Hunger Coordinator from the Office of the Governor, as well as Jenny from New Mexico Appleseed. But let's go ahead and get back to Kendall. Um, So Kendall, Senate Bill 4 says that it will provide free meals to public, private, charter, and Bureau of Indian Affairs schools. That seems like most schools. Are there any schools that won't be included?
1: Jeanette, that's a really good question. So the way that this program, the the way that the the economics or the financial calculations are based in this program, which is how the five other states that have done this before us, um, the same calculations they, they've they used, we're also using in New Mexico, um, the revenues of the additional income for schools is basically covering the difference between a minimum and max reimbursement. It won't get too into the weeds for a specific subset of students. So some schools in New Mexico are already 100% free, meaning they're already receiving maximum reimbursement from the federal government. Um, I don't have that number offhand, but there's about 6,000 students that are captured in those schools. Um, The remainder of the schools in New Mexico, um, with the majority of them, really are eating the costs on meals and are in the red or near the red because they chose to make the choice to feed kids for free. That was a, a moral decision that they made. And then we have schools that are, that are qualified as standard schools, meaning that parents are paying, uh, families and households are paying for meals. And so um, to answer your question, um, there is about 6,000 students who attend schools that are 100% free, that would not be receiving additional um, revenue through Senate bill four because they're already receiving max reimbursement um, with the caveat, that those schools um, will be invited and prioritized in the New Mexico Grown Incentive, which supports you know, local food, as well as the Kitchen Infrastructure Grant and the workforce investment. So um, I do wanna make sure that that's clear. So how would schools
0: become a part of the program if they're not already?
1: Jeanette, uh, do you mean a part of the, like, they already do school food or a part of the Universal Healthy Meals Program?
0: The, the current bill that we're talking about.
1: Okay. So, I just want to clarify there are some schools and districts who don't do school meals in New Mexico. They have chosen to opt out for whatever reason. And so, this bill only applies to schools and districts who are already operating the National School Lunch Program and the School Breakfast Program, excuse me. So, those schools will be automatically enrolled in this program, for lack of a better word. Um, Our public and charter schools will be required by law to participate meaning that every kid in those schools will receive free meals and they will also have to follow the healthy meal quality requirements that we will be working on this spring with our nutrition professionals and communities across the state. Um, Our BIE, tribally controlled schools and private schools are invited to participate and they've been included in the financial projections. There's enough money to cover all of those kids. Um, but because of the state's kind of sphere of influence, we we can't force those schools to participate, but we are excited to work with them on this program. And so there's really no application. there's no there's nothing a school needs to do other than just participate, just continue to feed their kids, and then the state will cover those those additional revenues for the paid students in their schools.
0: Well, that's great to hear. Let's go to bring Jenny Ramo back into this conversation. Jenny, how different is this bill compared to past ones you've seen?
2: You no, know, they are—they're all pretty similar around the country, and I think what the best way to explain the school meal and it's comp, its you know just a legally complex issue, but best way to school to explain the school meal um, reimbursement rate is let's say if a kid who's not eligible for any food, any free meals gets five dollars from the federal government in reimbursement and that goes to the state. Maybe a reduced price kid, the state pays. The federal government pays four and the kid who's eligible for nothing they get like 50 cents so you still have to get yeah so the reimbursement from the federal government is based on how much it's based on kind of what status these kids are so it's it it's really important to understand that the reimbursement from the state are what they are and the state legislators and the governor are really investing in making sure that every kid even the ones who might not be eligible for free meals or reduced price meals, but need the food are going to get fed. I mean, that's really the critical part of this math. Um, the other thing that I think is worth noting is the the meal quality and like the yumminess is separate from the nutritionality and then school meals are actually fairly nutritional, um, but all of that is based on the reimbursement at the, at the federal level, which is just notoriously poor. So I'm hoping, you know, through through Kendall's great work and the governor, and um that we'll be able to see eventually that we can invest state money in the quality also, because that's just really the math that that people are that the student nutrition directors are left with. I mean, they are really truly not to blame for the quality of the food. And I think they are if you look at this the COVID response, the student nutrition directors were really the heroes of of that whole thing, uh, making sure kids got fed during COVID. And so I want to make sure as we talk about nutrition and tastiness, that um, uh, that we are giving those people a break because they are actually amazing warriors for kids.
0: And I would have to ask too, within your work, what is the scope of child hunger in New Mexico? How many New Mexican children don't know when their next meal will be?
2: You know, I don't know that we could really ever truly measure that. Um, Voices for Children and their ki- their kids count data data uh, report has, I think, about 28% of kids not knowing where their next meal is from, but I don't even know how you can can figure that out in an era of uh, such insane inflation. Um, I mean, I would, I would guess it was close to double that. I, I, and the thing that people don't understand is, I think it's easy to kind of, we get used to having words like, child hunger or child poverty come out of our mouths and they become less meaningful. And what we know about child hunger and child poverty in general is that when you, those kids have a harder time focusing in school, they're more likely to drop out, they um, their behavior, they're, they look like they have learning issues when they're just hungry, they have more nursing visits. I mean, that's where you get to things like evidence-based policy making, like breakfast after the bell or universal free school meals, where this is actually medicine. <laughs> and it's medicine for behavior and it's medicine for, um, for um, feeling valued. Um, it's medicine for focus. And so that's really kind of the big issue about child hunger is we can assume given every other piece of data in our state that a lot of kids are suffering from this and we don't need to do a big survey as to how many when it comes to school meals we just need to feed them
0: and kendall do you have a response to that
1: yeah i just want to comment on the 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 sort of comparison of you know yumminess versus the nutritional quality so we know that school meals have to meet um, a basic level, of, you know, nutrition standards based on the federal government. I used to have to do all of those analyses at the public education department. I can tell you that those do not necessarily mean that that meal is going to be something that the kid wants to eat and that's going to nourish them. And so I think that's what really makes our proposal special um, in comparison to all the other states who have already passed this legislation. Is we're saying, you know, we're not talking about sodium and sugar and the, you know, the number, you know, the The number of leafy greens on the tray we're talking about really encouraging schools and districts to serve scratch -scratch, semi-scratch home-cooked like meals that kids want to sit down and eat um, and that reflects the place that they're in and i I think the one thing that's missing in this conversation that i'm constantly reminded about and because i'm at an elementary school today with 160 elementary students who have something to say about their school meals, is that the student voice and the student choice piece in this is really missing. We hear a lot from administrators, we hear a lot from nutrition directors, we hear a lot from nonprofits, we hear a lot from government. Um, but if you talk to kids, they want better food. Parents want better food. They want less food that's plas- in a plastic wrapped, um, plastic wrap that's cooked somewhere else and then popped in a microwave. They want more fresh food. You know, the Senate Finance Committee members visited a school in Santa Fe a few weeks ago because they wanted to really test this, like, what does school food look like? Do kids eat it? Do they have enough time? That sort of thing. Um, and the the legislators will tell you, and they told us, that the kids all ate their vegetables first, their fruit second, didn't eat the processed item because they didn't want it. They wanted the milk, they wanted the produce, and then they, you know, dumped the rest and went out to recess Um, like kids want nourishing food. And so that's our role and our responsibility in the state to really prioritize that and make that something that we're putting front and center for our kids. And so I just want to add another layer to the onion um, um, in addition to what you shared.
0: Exactly. I I feel these are important um, values. Jenny, um, currently without free meals, how are some of the children living in poverty, poverty, dealing with hunger?
2: I think they're living with it. I mean, that's the thing that there's a great Martin Luther the quote, which, of course, I don't have right in front of me, but it starts with there is there is it is it is possible to be too late. And that's our worry here is we need to act quickly to make sure these kids have the food they need. They, they, they just, um, you know, we need to address the fact that they are all living with not knowing where their next meal is coming from. They need to. Um, they, I think, in some ways, poverty is so normal for New Mexico kids that it isn't even something they question. Um, but I think programs like this I mean, WIC, SNAP, um, you know, we but we need more housing. I know the governor's we've been working with the governor's office on some of the housing issues, but it is well worth the investment. I, mean, I think Kendall put it articulately earlier. Um, we have plenty of money in the state. What we do is we need to prioritize poverty because. It it ends up with better work uh, workforce, less crime, a healthier population. I mean, even if you don't kind of from a humanitarian perspective, believe in this work, it it has a return on investment in the economic uh, vibrance of the of the state.
0: And Jenny, do you feel this new bill is an effective solution for the state to take on childhood hunger or is it a temporary or partial fix?
2: I think it's a partial fix, but I mean a lot. But it's a great bill. I mean, even what I had forgotten to mention about the the scratch cooking. One of the things having a kitchen in planned into schools is really important for a lot of reasons. Number one, it just creates an on ramp for the what Christine, the teacher, brought up, which is culturally appropriate foods. Instead of getting rewarmed beef crumbles from Wisconsin, they can have local mutton. They can have local beef. Um, you know, we really, you, you create micro economies around these meal systems where the demand is the kids and the supply is the local, local, um, uh, agricultural landscape, and it's being—it's all being paid for by the federal government and now the state. Um, so these are all—it's it, an incredibly important bill, and I'm really, really proud of uh, the governor for doing all of this. I mean, it's a very, very comprehensive bill, and as you can see on here, we have—they've really gotten done a good job of bringing in advocates and experts to support this work.
0: That's great to hear. So we have another guest to introduce this morning, Anita Laura Beckler from the Pueblo Tortugas in southern New Mexico. She's a movement and PE teacher at the Raices del Subar Chinachilte Community School. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, Jeanette. How are you today? I'm doing good. I hope I didn't butcher that school too bad.
4: (laughs) Uh, uh, Not too bad. It's Raices del Saber Chinachilte Community School.
0: There you go. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So, uh, Anita, this school that you teach at is relatively new. What's unique about it?
4: Um, it's really unique in the sense that um, we approach education from a reformative justice scope, um, including the cultural aspects um, that may have been either buried or or lost um, in our community in the southern New Mexico um, areas of
0: the borderlands. And... Correct me if I'm wrong, but you are actually one of the founders of an after school program here at the school. Um, what part of the program is helping with this um, with efforts to build community gardens? How have children responded to it?
4: So the after school program called Loque Awoke After School um, was created in a response to um, the need for a safe space for students after school um, that were attending the RAICES. Our whole entire foundation is actually based off of the work in the community garden. And this um, the students have been an incredible um, part of that building um, community around the food. So um, it's really been a great opportunity for them to learn more, not only about their culture, but how to sustain plant life and food medicines and all the really awesome parts of nature that we're connected to.
0: And I want to sort of go back to Kendall as well. You worked with similar programs like this. Is there something special about gardening with children?
1: Yeah, so Jeanette and, um, you know, Anita, like it's, as somebody who, you know, 12 to 15 years ago kind of started my career in the garden education, garden to cafeteria, working in school cafeterias movement, that is, has a very special place in my heart. Like I, and Anita can speak to this with her experience, you know, seeing a kid pull a carrot out of the ground and eat it raw with soil all over it or eat spinach raw, those things don't happen when it's like industrialized food that's served in a fast way where the kids can actually sit and connect and enjoy it. Um, when a child, just like an adult grows food, they want to consume it, they're more connected to it, they're more connected to the land, they're more connected to the culture. And so I personally have a very strong, um, strong feeling and strong, you know, um, support for garden education, farm education, and that connection back to the land as a critical part of this again, school food culture that we're slowly building out. You know, as Jenny mentioned, the partial investment, um, this, this is, you know, the first of many. This is, again, one drop in the bucket. And so we'll see what happens in a few years after the initial investment of $30 million annually. Um, but we may need more support for schools like RAICES to do more work, like what's already happening down in southern New Mexico, and make sure it's happening everywhere else. Again, so that when a child eats, eats sits down, has 20 minutes to eat their meal, um, they will actually eat it because they have a sort of inherent connection to that food because they helped produce it or were part of a program where they just understand a little bit more about that plant as a living being.
0: And Kendall, I know you, you know, talked earlier about how it's actually easy to get kids to eat their vegetables. But Anita, how do you get children, you know, I'm sure not all children want to eat healthy foods. You know, they would gladly choose hot Cheetos over broccoli. So what do you say to that?
4: Um, So I would say that like nine times out of 10 um, in the school setting, a child will or a student will try um something new and and i guess maybe that has the effect of like the community aspect right when you see other people trying new things and maybe enjoying it um you're likely to also try those new things and possibly enjoy it um i think the way that I like to approach it is um, allowing them to have the opportunity to choose whether or not they're going to um, try the, try something that they haven't had or, um, or just options for them to have um, on their plate. But most importantly, I think the community aspect is what really enhances those connections to try new things and, and healthy habits.
0: So I would say your school is a little ahead of the curve, being that it is already providing free breakfast, lunch, and additional dinner for those in the after-school program. What have been the positives of this initiative?
4: Um, I think really that we know um, when the students come to the school that they are not going to be hungry. We have options for them for breakfast. And like you said, lunch, and we also offer dinner in the after school program. Um, And I think that is really one of the ways that we've been able to support our community the most is offering those free meals, whether you can afford them or not. Um, And that's been really helpful. I think also in the instruction for teachers, because when a student is um, nurtured by food and, and has a full belly, then they're able to really engage throughout the rest of the day. And that's um, one of the most important parts of learning. So.
0: And have you heard feedback from parents on this initiative?
4: Um, I, yeah, so all of our um, parents, I feel, are pretty happy with our food service. So far, um, I think that we have had some struggles, definitely with the um, the uh, quality, because um, as hard as all of our food service um, our food service people work, you know, they're they're dedicated to their job and their service. Um, the The supply of healthy foods to certain operations is kind of hard to come by um especially in large quantities so i think that's kind of something that um we've been talking about over the last four years is um is just you know trying to find a balance between quality and also like the soul food that comes on your plate you know like you said the the cultural things like I I would say hot Cheetos are a cultural aspect to New Mexico in many ways, or maybe just indigenous and BIPOC communities. Um, Obviously that's not an option all the time, but there have been moments where the kids get the baked uh, hot Cheetos on their plate and you know, those are gone right away. But um, at the same time, they have a good balance
0: of other healthy things on there. On their plate. Well, that's great to hear. Let's go ahead and go to a break. You're listening to Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Jeanette Díaz. We're talking with school teacher Anita Laura Beckler on the importance of children learning to grow their own food in in their community and school gardens. Stay tuned. <coughs>
3: viral video of an arizona gallery owner's offensive outbursts against native american dancers sparked questions about perceived inequities there's a long history of retailers exploiting native talent for their own gain how do you know if you're buying jewelry or artwork from a fair and ethical dealer we'll find out in the next native america calling weekday mornings at 11 on kunn
5: It's the season of love. If you love KUNM and couldn't imagine life in New Mexico without it, now is a good time to support what you love by donating that unwanted car or truck. Maybe you are no longer driving it, or maybe it costs too much to repair. Either way, donating it to KUNM is a great way to show your love. To donate your vehicle, call 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227.
0: Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We're talking about Senate Bill 4 that would provide free and healthy school meals to kids across the state. Um, what questions do you have for Senate Bill 4, which would provide free meals to, school, to New Mexican children? Share your ideas with us by calling 505-277-5866. You can also email us at letstalkatkunm.org or tweeting with the hashtag Let's Talk NM. So we're back with Anita Laura Beckler, So, Anita, how important is it for children to start off the day with breakfast and to have lunch to feel them in the afternoon?
4: Um, I think it's one of the most important parts, you know, Um, after doing some service in the Food Corps um, AmeriCorps program, I was able to really see firsthand how impactful lunch service, breakfast service, and, you know, snacks are throughout the day. It's a long day. It's a really long day for, for students. Um, and some of them are there from, you know, 8 to 5.30. Um, and I think, I don't think anyone could make it that long without a little snack in their belly. And I, it's a really an important part of our day. So, yeah. Um, the breakfast time, specifically at Raíces, can happen at any time. As soon as the student comes in, um, they are offered breakfast, and um, even if they come in late, they have the opportunity to have breakfast or a snack before they um, begin their school day.
0: And I have to ask, how many time, how much time do children have during lunch and breakfast to eat their meals? And do you feel it's an adequate amount of time to eat?
4: So for breakfast, I think it's um, like integrated into the beginning of the school day. I, I believe that the students have an ample amount of time to eat their breakfast in the morning between seven thirty and I. I believe they begin instruction at eight, um, and then the lunch service is also uh, thirty minutes long. Um, I mean, for me, as an adult, I really love slow eating and having community time around tables. Um, and I think as as children, that's incredibly important, too, because that's where you learn a lot from not only your elders, but your peers. And um, with my experience in serving lunch in the classrooms over the last few years of my career... I've really noticed that if you give students at least 30 minutes, they're able to uh, completely finish all of the food they'd like, or even receive seconds of certain items and also have meaningful conversations and connections with their peers.
0: And I'd like to bring this question to a broader view. Kendall, um, time to eat must be an issue in New Mexico schools since it's written into Senate Bill 4. Is it common that kids aren't getting enough time to eat?
1: So nationally, um, this is an issue nationally, not just in New Mexico, and both the CDC and USDA have made recommendations on a minimum um, or a, you know, a solid time for younger students being 20 minutes um, to actually of, of seat time. So currently, New Mexico statute reads that um, the lunch period is 30 minutes, but in that 30 minutes, they a school or a school district can use it for you know the child going to the cafeteria, standing in line, standing in line to jump their waist, and then leaving. And so, what we're saying is that the younger students, specifically who have a bit more trouble consuming, having enough time to to eat all the food on their tray, especially the the fruits and vegetables, that those kids, grades K through five, have you know tw- up to twenty minutes if they want uh, if they want it. So, RAICES is a beautiful example of you know those kids already receiving thirty minutes of seat time, so having that time to sit down, eat, connect with their peers. Um, I don't have data for this state, but I can tell you from working in schools for you know, 12 to 15 years here that 30 minutes is not the norm. Uh, we have plenty of schools who just logistically have a hard time scheduling lunch periods longer, um, actual seat time longer than five to 10 minutes. Um, we hear this from nutrition directors all over the state that that seat time issue is really, really, really critical. And so we felt strongly about adding it into the, into the conversation for the bill.
0: So we actually have a caller from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Travis, good morning. Welcome to Let's Talk New Mexico. What would you like to share with us this morning?
5: Good morning. Well, thank you for having such a beautiful show this morning. And uh, what's up, Kendall? Um, just wanted to chime in here that um, you know I'm a food justice organizer. I'm co-founder of Project Feed the Hood with the Southwest Organizing Project. I'm a teacher, a garden resource teacher at Polk Middle School. And we just wanted to shout out all across New Mexico and the world that SB4 and the Food Initiative are critical pieces of legislation. We really strongly believe that this legislation can build a strong foundation to move forward as we transform our food systems in the state of New Mexico, to prioritize buying more local food, to get students involved with not only just eating local food, but growing their food on their campuses, allowing and empowering cafeteria staff to actually cook food from scratch. Um, I'm 35. I remember when I was in elementary school, you could smell home-cooked food coming from the cafeterias and somewhere down the line, you know, we've gotten more into the heating up food, um, less cooking of food. Um, my students reflect on it all the time because we're studying this. We actually take students up to the legislator. We took about 87th graders on Food and Farm Day. We're taking 93 eighth graders next Friday to really advocate for this because we really believe in it. But one of my students said, you know, Mr., can we just eat less food in bags? And it really hit me like, man, a lot of the food that we're providing our students is in bags. And a lot of times it has a lot of sugars. It's highly processed. And another student at my old middle school said, Mr., why don't they just let the cafeteria staff cook? They'd cook us the best food. And it just like... Kids home, you know, when you start humanizing this, I'm a teacher, I eat the food in solidarity and our students are so humble, like they're happy to have food and really thankful. But I think also we can do more to transform it and be more representative of our culture, of our uh, farmers and really providing more uh, nutritious and delicious food and really uh, thinking about the students that are at schools that aren't a Title I school. We are a Title I school, so all of our students get free lunch. But thinking about all the students across the state of New Mexico that might not get a free lunch and that everybody deserves uh, food, we think that food is a human right, and we also think that healthy, organic, nutritious, and delicious food is a human right. And so we want to advocate for this and really support not just this piece of legislation, but really support New Mexico as we move forward here to support local farmers, to get our people to eat more local food, to get more youth agricultural programs, to build more school gardens, to get more farms on campuses. I mean, really the sky's the limit. And I think this piece is, these two pieces of legislation are gonna lay a strong foundation so we can move forward in a strong way and continue to do the work that a lot of people have been doing for a really long time and honor all the farmers and the people, the stewards of the land that, that do this every day that we really appreciate. Uh, people that grow food and we want to support them more.
0: Well speaking of food, let's bring in our last guest our last guest now, Manny Ensignas, who is the fourth generation cattle rancher from Moriarty, New Mexico and co owner of Now We're Ranching Cattle Management Services. Thanks for joining us this morning, Manny. Good morning. So let's go ahead and get started, Manny. How might the Healthy Universal School Meals Bill be beneficial to you and others working in in agricultural in this state?
3: Uh, Just like many of the uh, other speakers today have have mentioned, um, this is just going to give a tremendous amount of of opportunity to market access for farmers and ranchers in New Mexico on a year-round basis where the majority of, of farms and ranches, uh, they, they market very seasonally. And uh, having access to markets year-round is just going to help not only the individual agricultural businesses, but the rural economies um, that these agricultural businesses support on a daily basis.
0: And I have to ask, how are you and other local farmers involved in this legislation? Are your voices being included?
3: Yeah, I guess that's the the greatest part about this legislation is that there has been a major outreach by the governor's office and other, others involved in the local food movement to engage and, and encourage uh, farmers and ranchers to, to participate. Um, in not only just reaching out to legislators, but also in, in helping shape this program that is very beneficial to, to so many communities throughout the state.
0: And I might have to throw this back to Kendall. Could this be a real issue? Are there ways for schools to use foods that aren't necessarily grown or raised in the state and still get the financial benefits of SB4? Yeah,
1: so so the the $30 million that um, the appropriation that's referenced in Senate Bill 4 um, is basically the reimbursement and the, addition, the reimbursements for the paid students for um, the majority of our schools and school districts across the state. In the spring, we're going to work with you know our farmers and ranchers, so Manny and others, our schools, people like Anita, uh, our nonprofit partners, people like Appleseed, and also our nutrition directors to really frame out like a think about a rubric on how school meals can improve over time and really hold them and incentivize them to do better. So within that framework, we're going to say we want you to buy as much local meat, as much local vegetables, as much local fruit, as many local tortillas, etc as you possibly can with that money. And on top of that, we're gonna incentivize with an additional 2 million for schools and districts that want to purchase more. Um, so there will be no disincentive for a school that maybe doesn't have access to the beautiful um, high quality meat that Manny's producing on Moriarty, um, but that money will be available for people who do want to buy local. And so there will be no, no. Um, we won't. There will be no um, stick for not purchasing local, but we, again, do want to work with our schools and districts to purchase as much as possible because we do believe that is the highest quality, most nutritious, most fresh food that you could possibly give to kids.
0: So, Manny, if this bill is passed, will farmers and ranchers be able to keep up with the demand?
3: You know, I guess that's the way I, I really have appreciated the way this program's been rolled out is that um, it's built, been strategically rolled out where... You know, identifying who the growers are, what the markets are, um, but you know, as a as a rancher specifically producing beef, you know, I know that um, you know we we have a lot a lot of beef produced in this state that leaves the state and comes back to the state after being processed out of state. So I feel like we're gonna have as this, we're gonna have the opportunity to to fill the need as much as our supply in the state will, will allow.
0: So, I have to ask, how different is the agricultural industry in New Mexico compared to surrounding states? How might those impact the ability of local producers to participate in this program?
3: Well, you know, from the meat side, you know, I think the most common denominator um, there is uh, basically harvest capacity. Uh, It is uh, somewhat limited I don't think it's it's definitely reached its maximum output potential and i think that's where um, you know i I feel like we we have to to focus in on on how to more efficiently optimize the use of those federally inspected facilities Um, but you know i feel like on the the fruits and vegetable side i I feel like there is a lot of opportunity for um, access to markets there's a lot of food being grown uh, throughout the food desert that we do live in, in New Mexico. Um, but I would say, you know, this challenges on a normal basis are really just tied to, to market access. Uh, you know, I think we're, we're so used to traditional ways of producing a product and shipping it, you know, um, where it ultimately ends up out of state, maybe comes back, you know, on a truck in a box uh, where I feel like this whole opportunity is going to allow us to build infrastructure, build a workforce, like it's mentioned, been mentioned before. Those are the kinds of things that I think will get us back to helping build again robust economies in the rural parts of New Mexico.
0: And in your opinion, how important is it to give our New Mexican children healthy and locally sourced food?
3: You know, there's nothing probably um, more valuable in our daily lives and the food that that we are blessed with on our tables and there's uh, especially and i would say like you know in in our indigenous communities and our communities who have a deep culture uh, and deep roots in new mexico with surrounded by agriculture i think it's important for our school children to to have access to their culturally um based foods um you know there's it's it's important for us not only for them to have nutritious foods but to also, um, allow them to, on a regular basis, remember their cultural roots and ancestral roots to agriculture.
0: And I'd like to throw this final question out to everybody uh, of our guests. This Senate Bill 4 that's going to provide free meals to school children, how essential is this and why is it important now to pass this? Uh, let's start with Jenny.
2: Am I? Hey, sorry, I thought I was on mute for a second. Oh, this is such important legislation and it's so well crafted and so comprehensive. And this is, you know, families rely on on school meals for their budgets. Um, This has a will have a ripple effect in the state for the economy. Um, It will improve kids outcomes in school. I mean, this is really there are very few policies in life that are so turnkey that when you do them, they have. Pretty much nothing but good, good outcomes, and this is one of them. And I am—we're excited to support it, and we hope everyone else is calling their legislators to make sure that they support it.
0: And why is this important right now, Kendall?
1: So I would say this is a critical investment right now because of all, so because of the shift, the the moment that we're in with the with the pandemic, right? The decrease from the federal investments, both on the SNAP side and free school meals, et cetera, et cetera um so we're in this moment of sort of economic as as we're moving out and you know we have record level le, record levels of of low unemployment our you know our economy is improving we still know that families are experiencing hardship right so this the economics of this moment are very important and it also is providing this you know the the free meals that were that were basically paid for by the federal government for the past few years created this perfect framework or this perfect proxy of what free meals should and could look like and families now sort of expect it nationally so we have this moment to really prioritize and elevate school food as a part of the school day. That school food is as important as books, you know, in the academic outcomes and the health outcomes of our kids. Um, that cafeteria workers are as important as other workers in the school. That we have this really beautiful moment to really capitalize on that. And so I think it's a combination again of the of the economics of the moment, um, you know, decreased support from the federal government, and um, you know, a, an executive here and a legislature that really does. See the value of investing in school meals. It's this beautiful, perfect storm in this moment right now. And so I, that's, that's what I think.
0: And real quick, Anita, your final thoughts? Yeah, so I
4: believe in the now, for sure, just like Jenny and Kendall mentioned. Um, I also really have an, an incredible investment in our future. Um, we are raising young leaders right now. and. Um, it's a basic human right for them to have their food um, um, available and accessible. And in in reality, I think that the this this sb4 is going to be able to not only connect them directly to healthy nutritious food for free and you know focus on their education and their future
0: and any we're gonna have to stop you right there unfortunately we reached the end of the hour thanks to everyone who called in and tweeted to us and a big thank you to our guests jenny ramo kendall chavez anita laura beckler and manny Insignias let's keep this conversation going on twitter with the hashtag let's talk nm we've also we're also on facebook and at K. Radio. If you miss part of the show, you can stream it online and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll also have the show audio posted at KUNM.org shortly, along with the list of the resources that were mentioned throughout the hour. Thank you, as always, to our hardworking team. Our engineers, Marino Spencer, Mer- Megan Kamrick handled the phone today. Taylor Vasquez live tweeted us for today and Mova Movahead produced the show. I'm Jeanette Didius for Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM.